Let us go to our gaggle maker hotline here and uh, talk to uh, Michael Krupa, who is live and standing by in Poland. Uh, Michael is a independent journalist, and he is he has been covering the Ukraine conflict since before the Russians in the supposedly invaded, unprovoked, of course, and general uh, uh, political uh, happenings in Poland uh, for a very long time and uh, knows a lot more about this stuff than I do. Michael, how are you this morning, brother? Hey, good to hear you. Good to hear you, Mike. How are you? I am well. Good to hear you. By the way, the uh, if you're hearing the background noise, it's only my upstairs bathroom being renovated, but I hope it doesn't, uh, <laughs> doesn't preclude us having a good discussion here. By the way, I love the intro music and the Kia commercial. I think I'll have to get hooked up with one soon. <laughs> yes, I do hear the construction work going on. I'm just wondering, you are in Poland. Were you able to immigrate any, uh, any Mexicans uh, to do the work? Well, I have a huge cornfield beside my house, so uh, if the tractors don't come out in a couple of weeks, I'm guessing, it's actually probably going to be the uh, the poor Ukrainian refugees driving their Ferraris in Poland that are probably doing the work instead of the Mexicans, so <laughs> I'm guessing it'll be the Yukis, yeah. All right. Um, what can you tell me about what's going on in, uh, with uh, uh, Polish citizens being told, if you know anything, being told to leave Israel? Did you, did you hear this? Yep. Yep. Well, the uh, the government has sent uh, three planes, two military, two C-130 Herculeses to uh, Israel. Now, I'm not sure if they landed at uh, Ben-Gurion International Airport or at some other airport, but I know that the first group of Polish tourists, and actually pilgrims who have been in Israel for the last couple of days, they have been successfully evacuated. Now, there are different numbers floating around because... Some media report there were about 2,000 Polish citizens in Israel. Some are reporting that there were less than 1,000. So it's speculation at this point, but the good thing is is that uh, one portion of the group has already been evacuated. Uh, and I know in that group there were uh, not only tourists, but also pilgrims who were in the Holy Land for a pilgrimage. So uh, as a matter of fact, I, I'm being told by, uh, by a listener and by a friend that Father David Nix is yes. in the Holy Land. Um, and, of course, uh, if you've been a listener to this show for, for any amount of time, you know that Father Nix has, uh, we've been, uh, we, we, we've had Father Nix going on all the way back to 2015, so he and I go way back. So uh, prayers for uh, all of those uh, that are visiting the Holy Land on pilgrimages, uh, as, as Michael just says, the Poles are. Um, anything else? Is is the Polish military involved in in in, uh, in Israel at all? Uh, no. Uh, okay. Not officially, at least. Although the Polish president has signaled that uh, Poland is open to providing Israel any type of support, as we consider Israel to be an allied state. Although it's kind of hard to imagine what kind of help. Uh, Poland could provide to Israel, given the fact that we've given away basically all our military equipment to Ukraine, <laughs> for better or worse. So the situation is interesting. The, the most interesting thing to look forward in Poland this week is obviously the parliamentary elections that are coming up this weekend on Sunday. So as of today, it looks like if we are to believe the polls that uh, the current governing party will uh, win the elections, but they will not have a majority this time, so they will most likely have to do uh, engage in some dialogue and talks to form a coalition government. Now, the question is, obviously, with whom they're going to conduct these talks because there are two 
uh, opposition parties that the current law and justice government might be considering having these talks. One party is Confederation, which is the more sort of nationalist conservative party, and the other one is a so-called third way, more of a centrist liberal party. And they're both neck and neck in the latest polls. I think Confederation was at uh, uh, 8% or 9%, and third way was just behind them at 7%. The other major opposition party is the one led by Donald Tusk, which is the coalition uh, the Civic Coalition, which is basically a broad group of these liberals and lefties and greens who just want to, who basically their only guiding principle is to abolish the current government, nothing else pretty much. But uh, nobody is projecting that they're going to win a majority, although there's a lot of enthusiasm on their side for that part. So I think the most interesting thing to look out for is uh, who uh, Law and Justice is going to be talking to about creating a coalition government. Um, or who they will be trying to buy off in terms of a few MPs that are lacking uh, in the parliament to give them a majority uh, to bring to their side after the, uh, after the elections on Sunday. So I think the elections are the most important thing to look forward to. And actually, there's a pretty interesting uh, poll that came out uh, a few days ago, okay. which is conducted for a conservative periodical that I follow. It's called Novewat, or New Order. And it turns out that only 13% of polls want to address the demographic crisis through immigration, which that means that a large majority of polls do not see mass massive immigration to Poland from whatever side is coming, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's Africa, whether it's the Middle East or Southeast Asia, as a means to address the demographic crisis that we are obviously facing here in Poland, which is a good sign. Now, the question is, will the major political parties take note of this, and how will this shape out on Sunday in the voting trends that we are bound to see? All right, so uh, uh, about 10 days ago, Jack Posobiec put something out on his Twitter um, uh, understand what is happening in Poland. Last week they called Zelensky a drowning man, trying to drag them down with him and halted weapon shipments. Now the EU is sponsoring anti-government rallies inside Warsaw. And there's a picture, uh, there's a brief video here, and it does look like there's a couple of hundred thousand people on the streets of Warsaw. Is that still happening? Well, that happened last uh, week, and that was actually organized by the uh, aforementioned uh, civic coalition, which is the biggest liberal party that is opposing the current government. So, I, you know, one one part of the political scene was saying they had a million people turn out. The other part said it was only like 200 to 300,000. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, there was a lot of people. There was a lot of discontent and anger at the current uh, ruling government, but they still have that slight majority of people, especially uh, in the rural parts of Poland, who still give them uh, many votes, but obviously, as I said, it's not going to be uh, a majority government anymore, and they will have to coalesce around another formation in order to form a coalition government. So, uh, so yeah, the, the dynamic is there, and we'll see where it goes on Sunday, basically. Well, so let, let me uh, uh, follow up on that, then. Uh, is Zelensky a millstone now? Have the people of Poland had enough of, the, of, of funding the uh, basically funding the continuing war against the Russians? Well, I can tell you that uh, the people of Poland might be fed up with it, but the, the current government, uh, I think, and, and I've, I've talked about this with uh, Clayton Morris and other journalists from the States, that I think what the current government is doing right now, all of a sudden turning anti-Ukrainian before the elections, uh, is only basically an election ploy. Ah. And I'll give you a few reasons why. Uh, 
a few days after President Duda made that comment at the United Nations, uh, where he basically said that Zelensky is like a drowning man. If he pulls you down, you'll go down with him. Uh, there was an interview with a very important minister in the Polish government. Uh, his name is Jacek Sashin. And he basically said, and it was out there, you know, in a very mainstream newspaper, but nobody took note. He said, you know, we have our problems right now with Ukraine, but we're not going to abandon Ukraine. So that was a very important statement, which basically means that right now we have to play the Patriot, the Nationalist card before the elections. But after the elections, it's probably going to be business as usual. Also, there was a German reporter. Uh, I, I think his name is Ropke. He's a fairly, uh, uh, he has a large following on Twitter or on X. Uh, I don't remember the publication he works for, but he uh, informed his uh, his followers last week that he took part in a defense forum in Poznań. Uh, in Poland, and apparently it was a gathering of NATO defense officials, and everybody there said to him, he pointed this out on his ex-Twitter, that, you know, elections or no elections, we're still going to be pumping weapons into Ukraine. So sadly, I think this is basically what we call elections, election sausage. Mm -hmm. The current government knows that Poles are fed up with Ukraine, that Poles are fed up with being overwhelmed by Ukrainian so-called refugees in Poland, of which there are a couple of million. They are fed up with destroying our army, with basically giving away for free our armaments that are being gladly destroyed by the Russians on the Eastern Front. And the government took notice. And in order to peel off the support that might have went to Confederation, which is presented in the media as the greatest sort of Ukrainian skeptic party right now on the Polish political scene, they had to play the Ukraine card. So they're all hawkish right now. You know, they're telling, you know, last week the prime minister told Zelensky at an election rally, he called him out and say, hey, Zelensky, by the way, don't you ever dare, uh, you know, criticize Poland again. So it, it's, it's very funny considering that all that up until now, it's been hugs and kisses from the Polish government with the Ukrainian government. So I find it hard to believe, although the issues are substantive, obviously, but I find it hard to believe that all of a sudden, these guys really care about Poland, if you know what I mean. I mean, the current government. They haven't cared in the last two years. They put us in a very precarious situation vis-a-vis -vis Russia, threatened our national security, and all of a sudden, I'm to believe that four weeks before a parliamentary election, they've regained their sensibility. I highly doubt that. I hope it's true, but I've been in this world too long uh, to believe in fairy tales, so I'm a skeptic. Yeah, I, I color me skeptic as well, because uh, the same thing is, is starting to happen here. Uh, with both parties now, the war, uh, the uni, the war party, uh, is basically what we have here, and uh, they can tell that look, there's enough problems here in the United States to keep all of us busy trying to address them for years upon years, and they keep hearing that Biden is throwing five billion, six billion dollars a week at the Ukrainians um, uh, at a never-ending war against a nuclear power. Um, uh, we have all these issues on our border here. Uh, we have a refugee and asylum problem here, too, as a, a, a result. And it's all as a result of bad government. It's just, it's bad government. It sounds like terrible government in the United States. And I don't want, I don't want to upset the polls, so I'll let you tell me, bad or good government in Poland? No, I think I think it's terrible government because okay. obviously, I mean, our, our guys did exactly the same things as your uh, unit party in Washington, not only in the Ukrainian issue, but the whole COVID thing. I mean, it was the same level of craziness. Right. But ever since the war started, I mean, we've been the loudest voice calling for the most extreme measures uh, against Russia. I mean, it's no coincidence that it was in Warsaw where Biden uh, 
a year back in his first speech in March called for essentially regime change in Moscow. He could right. only have said that in Poland because I think any other host, even though being a member of NATO and the European Union, which are structures that are officially opposed to Russia, I don't think Biden would be able to say, for example, you know, with relation to Putin, this man cannot remain in power in Budapest or in Paris, for example. I don't think he would go that far. But he knew that the Poles were so complacent that he could say it in Warsaw, and he get a lot of cheers for that, which is unfortunately the case. But as I said, the attitudes in public opinion have definitely changed. The attitudes towards the so-called refugees has changed. The, the attitudes and the level of hawkishness towards Russia has changed. And the attitudes towards sending more armaments, whatever we have left to yeah. Ukraine, have obviously significantly changed. But you know what the, th the interesting thing is now, uh, a lot of people are having this cognitive dissonance because ever since Saturday, when the whole uh, turbulence began in Israel, uh, a lot of people are, you know, uh, like, oh, wait a minute, so uh, we can't talk about Zelensky anymore because the world's attention is being now diverted to Israel. So when you are great, you know, uh, our golden boy is all of a sudden not front and center on the world stage. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Fortunately, uh, the level of support for going into Ukraine was low to begin with, and I don't think there's any stomach in Poland, thank God, for being engaged in some uh, Middle, East or Middle Eastern war on the part of Poland. We've already played that card before with Afghanistan uh, and Iraq, which is foolish on our part. But, uh, yeah, we are where we are, and I think uh, the most important thing that I'm going to be looking out for is uh, how the public opinion will be expressed on, uh, on Sunday, uh, in relation to a party that I'm looking forward to at least to gain some grounds, and especially a certain faction of that party, which is Confederation, because uh, there's a certain group of uh, candidates in there who have been speaking really uh, with a lot of sense about the current geopolitical situation in Poland, the social, social situation, and the flood, the tide of immigrants, uh, legal and illegal, coming into Poland from Ukraine ever since the beginning of the war and even before that. So, no, we're obviously on a smaller scale than the United States, but believe you me, I mean, there's a lot of things that we have to take care of in Poland first before we even begin to think about, you know, sort of, I don't know, saving the world or saving our <laughs> little section of Europe, so to say. So, uh, just to be, um, uh, to, to, to be clear about what's, what's, what's going on here, uh, this weekend was a terrible weekend for Volodymyr Zelensky. Because you, Indeed. yeah, you can't bilocate your money and your weapons. <laughs> you yeah, can fantasize yeah. about it all you want, but you can't bilocate your money and your weapons. And as you said, you know the golden, uh, the golden boy of the military-industrial complex and the forever warfare state, Vladimir Zelensky got kicked. His, uh, uh, he got kicked off the front pages. He got put on page E six. <laughs> for the first time yep. since all this began, um, uh, which um, uh, I think that he was already feeling that uh, the ice was starting to, to, to melt a little bit beneath him. Because when he came to the United States, I mean, he worked Congress. He walked, yep. he, he went up and down the hall shaking hands, kissing babies and doing, doing the political stuff. He worked the Canadians. So uh, it was to basically to ensure, or or for the people that are that that are uh, the, that are funding this, and are driving this insane uh, attempt uh, to to attempt to bring a world war to the door of the great Russian bear, um, Zelensky was at least feeling just a little bit threatened already. So I would imagine this would only uh, uh, intensify his because uh, you know what's going to happen as soon as as soon as this thing begins to end. 
And as soon as the West turns on him, which if Trump were elected, it would happen tomorrow. Because Trump would be like, you're going to end this war, Vladimir. You're going to sit at the table with Putin. And I'm going to go and we're going to work this out and it's going to be over. War's going to end, Vladimir. It's going to end. You can either do it with me or you can go and run and flee. And go hide on a beach in Costa Rica. It's your choice. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. I want to switch gears for just a moment with Michael in the little bit of time we have left here. And I just want to ask you, um, we just this weekend, uh, Catholics around the world, the, the those that know about it, celebrated the Feast of Our Lady of Victory, the Battle of Lepanto, October the 7th. Um, I forget the date, um, but I think we already celebrated this year the victory over the Mohammedans at the Battle of uh, the Siege of Vienna. Didn't we? Yes. Okay. Yes. So September 9th, 10th, and 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, September 9th, 10th, and 11th. Um, and I always, you know, I, lo- I, I love talking to my Polish Catholic friends about this because the Holy Fleet was headed by Don John of Austria, and the Siege of Vienna was, of course, thwarted, and Ali Mustafa um, sent packing with his 120,000 Sar- uh, uh, Janissaries, what have you, uh, by John, uh, uh, Don John Sobieski. of... Sobieski. Sobieski, one of the three great Don Johns, John John Sobieski of Poland. Um, uh, is there, the last time you and I talked, we talked a little Catholic inside baseball, um, uh, you like many of my of my Polish friends, and I have several, um, aren't convinced that Catholic Poland is ready to make a comeback. <laughs> because as Poland goes, as they say, so does the church. So, uh, what's happening with uh, with with, uh, with with Catholics in, in Poland? Is the faith well, is the faith rebounding? Is it going Francis's way? How do you see? Let, let, let me let me put it this way. At least from my vantage point, because I, I've stopped following daily briefings from the uh, the current. Let me use a delicate word here: circus in the Vatican. Yes, That's the most delicate word I can come up with. <laughs> what I what I can tell you from the uh, from the from the battle lines in Poland is. There is no greater promoter of the Latin mass attendance in Poland than Pope Francis, which is a blessing in and of itself. So it's kind of like a Felix culpa in a way, okay. whereby you're like, uh, you're very critical of what the current pontiff is doing. But on the other hand, you know he's the driving force because many people are coming to the Latin mass. Yes. <laughs> so you want that to continue in a way. And I think God, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Right now in Poland, there's been a lot of news lately. There was a scandal discovered a few weeks back whereby a couple of priests organized a party. I think it was in the Katowice diocese. And it was a really uh, disgusting situation because a bunch of priests, I think they uh, just goes to show you sort of the, uh, the fruits of Vatican II on a miniature scale. A bunch of priests got coked up, drunk up, and they ordered a gay stripper into the rectory. Oh, gosh, I saw this story. It's awful. Yeah, and uh, when he got, uh, he got OD'd, that poor guy, uh, they apparently refrained from calling an ambulance, so he almost died, uh, and that happened in a rectory. So, in a way, there's two tracks of Catholicism in Poland. There, there's the traditional track where you're seeing... More and more young people, more and more young converts and some agnostics coming back into the church. And they're obviously, they're not even using the Novus Ordo and, you know, what I would call mainline Catholicism as a, as a sort of 
intermediary before going to Catholic tradition. No, they, they go straight to Catholic tradition. And, you know, I attend the local uh, bad boy chapel of those bad boys called the uh, Society of St. Pius X here uh -oh. in Oslo. Uh -oh. We have a small, yeah, we, we have a small chapel. <laughs> And we have three masses every Sunday. And on every mass, there's about 100 people, which is like a few years ago when the society established itself in Wroclaw, it had one underground chapel, literally. Uh, and there would be, you know, like maybe 20 people at a mass. Okay. So the more Francis opens his mouth, the more people we have coming to Latin yes, mass yes. and to Catholic tradition. So, uh, so I think that from my vantage point in a nutshell, that's where it's going. Unfortunately, the, uh, the Polish Bishops Conference I don't see any real leaders right now. You know, the era of Cardinal Wyszynski, the great primate, the heroic Catholic pastors of the, of the past, uh, especially of the communist period. I mean, we have a lot, most of them are mediocre bishops, basically, who don't say anything new, nothing original. Uh, they basically paired a lot of Vatican talking points. Um, so it's uninspiring. But once you get down to the... Uh, to either the, the so-called indult Latin Mass or the society Latin Mass, and you see these laboratories of faith spring around, and the fact that the majority of people that coalesce around the Latin Mass are young people with, you know, four, five, six kids sometimes, that's where the future lies. So I, things that I wouldn't expect in Poland to happen a few years back because we were all under the influence of Obviously, John Paul II and his sort of vision for the church where the Latin Mass didn't really play a prominent role. That sort of heritage is going away in the sense that, you know, John Paul II isn't the ultimate criteria of what Catholicism should be or what the church should be. As a matter of fact, you can find a lot of things in his pontificate that uh, you can criticize from a traditionalist to a traditionalist. Oh, yes. Explain, obviously. But... Uh, but yeah, from my vantage point, that's what I pray for. That's what I see. And I think that's what a lot of people in the West uh, should be looking out for. The growth, the exponential growth of Catholic traditionalist centers of faith and the liturgy in Poland, despite all the odds. Because remember, I mean, we also have, you know, Tradiciones Custones was, uh, was very much implemented with a heavy hand by many bishops in Poland. So a lot of people who had an indult mass, for example, every Sunday, all of a sudden the indult mass is gone. They went to the SSPX and the local, you know, parish priest is, you know, uh, complaining, why are you going to the SSPX? Because you took away our Latin because Mass. Because you took so away our Mass. To go. Exactly, right. exactly. So, so, so whatever one can say about the SSPX, they're only giving them an argument. So as I said, it's a paradox with Francis. It is what it is, but the faith, thankfully, is, uh, is exploding, the traditional faith. And I think it's just a matter of time before we'll see, hopefully, God willing, the effects of this in our society, in our politics, and in our everyday life. I think you're right, Michael. Uh, Michael Krupa, live from uh, Poland. What's the name of the town that you were there, or, or the region where you're in in Poland? I am in Lower Silesia. I am about 30 kilometers out from Wroclaw, which during German occupation was called Breslau. And yes, I know my German friends will get angry now and say, what occupation? That was a German city. <laughs> I don't know, guys. It was always a Polish city. And uh, so Wroclaw, but I'm in a little... Literally, a little village called Miłoszyce. Miłoszyce. So it's about 30 kilometers out. I'm literally right next to a big pine forest. And actually, thank you for reminding me, there was a big hailstorm this uh, this evening, and there might be some fresh mushrooms in the forest to pick. So <laughs> one of those things that Poles and Slavs love to do after a big rainstorm in the fall. Pick, pick mushrooms. Let me just share something uh, with you and the rest of the audience that uh, I learned yesterday after Mass at the Oratory of St. Francis de Sales and Sulphur, which is run by the Institute for Christ the King, the ICK. 
uh, my dear, dear friend and my, my pair, my pair, as I call him. Bon, bonjour, my pair. He loves it when I speak French to him. Um, Canon Moreau, it says, I told him, I said, I'm going to my annual trip to the St. Benedict Center for the conference. I'm going to see Brother Andre. Oh, yes, yes, Joe, brother, that I asked about him. And I very much look forward to seeing him sometime in the future. And God bless him. And I said, yes, Canon. Of course, he goes, oh, but why are you there? He said, did you know? Two weeks ago, the ICK opened a new chapel in Worcester, Mass. Tradition now has a foothold in old, right outside of Boston. The two biggest dioceses in Massachusetts are, are the Boston, obviously, and Worcester. And the ICK just opened two weeks ago a brand new chapel in Worcester, Mass., um, uh, so uh, let me tell you that uh, for the ICK or for a traditional group like them, they're very traditional. They're also very practical, too. Um, uh, for a, a, a wonderful uh, apostolate like the ICK mm-hmm. to have found uh, or, or to have seen that there is you know, a clamor out there right outside of old Boston there in Worcester to open a chapel. That tells you a lot about what you just said. So I, I want all our friends out there to be very encouraged by things like that. And, and let me just say for for the uh, for the record to all our American friends out there, uh, Catholic or non-Catholic, if you're listening, but uh, believe you me, uh, despite all the turbulence that you're experiencing in America right now, but uh, y- you have a larger number of better bishops than we do in Poland. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that was uh, something that was written about, and I was going to share this. Uh, this is from Rod Dreher's Substack. Um, there's a new book out by this guy, a, a, a professor at Yale. It's actually a subject that I talk about, uh, I've, talk, I've done monologues on. The book is called They Flew, A History of the Impossible, and it's all about the flying saints, okay, like St. John of Cupertino. Which today, modern man just cannot, we can't comprehend this because we don't believe in fairies anymore. Like Chesterton said, we don't believe in fairies, we don't believe in fairy tales, and we don't believe in the supernatural. We really don't believe in miracles and the supernatural. Uh, um, because if we did, we'd have, fl- we'd have all manner of flying monks <laughs> around here today, like St. Padre Pio. But a Catholic friend of Dreher's, and Dreher's fallen away, he's Eastern Orthodox now, yeah. sent Send a note to Dreher, and I just wanted to just share one paragraph of it about what you just said about about Big Frank, as Mike Parrott calls him. By the way, Rod, I know the Austin Ivories and Mike Lewis's and Massimo Fagioli's will say that I'm looking at the problem through a narrow American lens. He's talking about the problem with Francis doing what he's doing to tradition, right? To which I say, hell yeah, I am. Yes, American Catholics often seem to think the whole church revolves around us. I'll own that. But we still matter. We have our own challenges, and the Pope should be sensitive to those challenges. Instead, Team Francis refuses to talk about the American church except to insult it. You mentioned how difficult this papacy has been for the U.S., and they act like you're trying to drum up sympathy for the German people during World War II. They clearly see us as the enemy. Our bishops are evil reactionaries, and we, the laity, are nearly as evil for following them. I'll also say that our Americans are categorically too online. I agree with this. We spend too much time reading about our leaders on the Internet, and that includes Big Frank. Fair cop, but again, 
Frank is now actively siding with the Christmas and Ether Catholics against our young priests, and that's bad news for everyone. That really is a really good summation that the Easter and Christmas Catholics are running the church right now. The three time a well, year, well, the three time I call them three time a yearers. You see them on All Saints Day, you see them on Christmas, and you see them on Easter. They're running the show now. They're in control. They have the hierarchy. They have the papacy. They have the uh, majority of the cardinal, cardinalate or, or cardinalate, cardinalate, however you wish to pronounce it. Um, College of Cardinals. Uh, College of Cardinals. <laughs> they <laughs> they seem to be in charge. They're dictating policy. They're talking about admitted. They're doing all these heretical things that we have been told since we were children, you and I, that the church never would do and it is not going to do. And for just for the record, she's not going to do it. If it's done, it will be done by the human element, and it will be undone by the divine through the human element. What say you? Amen. Yeah, I I, I think that the two things that the uh, Team Francis despises in American Catholicism, or generally in the United States, and I think this plays two ways, because one is on the political realm, the other is on the... Uh, on the religious plane, but I think, you know, Francis doesn't like the United States uh, for two reasons. One, uh, orange man from uh, Florida, bad. Uh, and number two, the site and the information about, you know, uh, a Latin mass being celebrated somewhere in Brooklyn. And that's all he wrote, you know, that's all he needs to know. Um, because, uh, I mean, the, with the amount of modernism and the, the, the lack of faith among, you know, a lot of American formal Catholics, I think those are the two things that still... Uh, animate his sort of criticism towards everything American. That, you know, there are some still signs of life and seeds of the true traditional faith that sort of, you know, translate into the political realm, mm -hmm. uh, whether you like him or not, with all his obviously uh, shortcomings into Donald Trump one way or another, right? right. So uh, when he thinks America, I think, I think that's what he sees. And the fact that you still have bishops who actually at least, at least, publicly uphold Catholic moral teaching, if not the liturgical tradition, then that's a no-go, right? You know, you want more guys like Kupich, uh, you want less guys like Corleone or Poprotsky down there, I think, in Florida, or definitely uh, like uh, Strickland or Burke before him, right? Mm. So I think those are the two pictures that he associates America with, and I think that's why his policies towards the American church should look the way they look, because he really has come down hard. Although I think because of your rebellious spirit, you know, I had a talk with, uh, with Judge Napolitano a few weeks back on my program. Did and you? We were discussing yeah, Judge, he's always, he's always fun to have on. And we talked to Latin Mass a little bit, uh, and he told me, and I said, so how do you, how do you guys go around tradiciones custodes? You know, he says, you know, in America, we still have a lot of good bishops who say to you, Tradiciones custodes? I don't know anything about that. What's that? I don't know anything about that. You know, wink, wink. So a Polish bishop would never do that, you know, because whatever comes from the Vatican is is always holy and always, uh, you know, uh, is never to be discussed with. So that that rebellious spirit that the Americans have in this regard is something that you should cherish and definitely use. For uh, ad maiorem dei gloriam, indeed. We, we, we certainly will. And uh, uh, a couple of things before you go. Judge Napolitano, when he was on Freedom Watch on Fox News, he was the only guy, he was the only one on Fox News that ever treated me fairly. 
He had me on that show a half a dozen times. Uh, I was on maybe three or four times with Lou Dobbs, yep. too. Lou liked me, too. Yep. Um, but and, and I never even uh, put Judge Napolitano Catholic together until about yep. two years ago. I was watching one of the show. Uh, I, I can't remember. Somebody sent it to me. And I went, yeah, yeah, let me go check it out. I love Judge, Judge Napolitano. And he came on and he goes, well, right before I came in here, I just finished saying my rosary. And I went, Judge! Welcome home, brother. <laughs> Rosary and Latin Mass adherence, yeah, also. Yeah, I, I love Judge Napolitano. And the second thing I'm going to tell you is, look, I'm about halfway through your book, so as soon as I'm finished reading, I'll send it to you. That is an good. amazing. It's a great book. Yeah. Godfrey edited. You picked a really good one. That uh, the intellectualism, uh, the paleoconservative, uh, or the mm-hmm. anthology of the paleoconservatism. There's some really. You're going to like it. It's a really great essay. So uh, I'll get it out to you in the next month or so. Perfect. It's perfect. your book. I'm just I'm just borrowing it. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Take notes as you want, as, as you see fit. No problemo. <laughs> well, if you find scribblings in it, you'll know where they came from. <laughs> Indeed. And, and if I try, if I find drips of barbecue sauce, all is forgiven. No worries. <laughs> all right, brother. Michael Cooper live from Poland. Thank you. God bless you as always, and thanks for your time. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. God okay. bless you. Take right. care. God bless you too.